You are listening to a Core Awareness Seminar by Liz Cook. Her website is www.coreawareness.com. That's C-O-R-E awareness.com. Please note that Core Awareness is a trademark signature of Liz Cook, her workshops, seminars, books, and CDs. The information presented in the seminar is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose of the seminar is to provide information and to simply educate. The author and publisher shall have neither liability nor responsibility to any person or entity with respect to any loss, damage, or injury caused or alleged to be caused directly or indirectly by the information, suggestions, explorations, or exercises contained within the seminar or written in response to the seminar. The author is not a medical authority, and she is not qualified to diagnose or prescribe any therapy. The information is simply her personal opinion. Please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have. So I am very excited to welcome Anasua Isaacs to my podcast series. And this is Liz Cook, and this is Core Awareness. So I want to introduce you to a woman that I met on uh, Bail Akamolfi's uh, We Will Dance with Mountains this past fall, who very much impressed me uh, with her articulate voice. And so I invited her to come and join me. So. Anasua calls herself a cultural ambassador, developing empowerment programs for people to speak the unspeakable. Mm. She worked with women and young people throughout her programs across New York City, as well as teaching in France, Kenya, Italy, South Africa, and Germany. And while she was in uh, Paris, she trained in the, I never can pronounce his name, I can't say those words, Say it for me. The Sorbonne? Yeah, the method that you train. Oh, Stanislavski method. Yes. I, I, my tongue doesn't. <laughs> um, of acting and co-founded uh, a theater company. with some. Yeah. Companies. Yeah. And as an advocate for women's leadership, Anasua is certified and licensed as a woman speak circle leader and an intentional creativity teacher. So it sounds like you've traveled to 22 countries, lived in six countries outside the United States. And so uh, one of the things that you said in your uh, bio was that you've witnessed the need for women's leadership. And, mm. and so you've created some and facilitated some programs around that. So when I um, invited you, I got very excited to uh, with your background because you kind of ignite the sacred alchemy between theater, poetry, song, and art. Uh, and I love that. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having what me. Caught my, what caught my eye, um, to be quite frank, was that your name, Anasu, was there in these Zoom classes, but so was being too much next to it. And I got, um, I got such a kick out of that. And so I, I realized that all my life, um, but particularly as an adult, I've been told that I'm too intense. 
and uh and literally like people are like oh my god could you like <laughs> mm -hmm. i have mellowed as i've gotten older but um but not that much um and so <laughs> well hallelujah for that yeah so anyway <laughs> we started playing with this idea of being too much and mm -hmm. and we are going to uh to actually come together in April to unpack this with women who want to join us for three weeks, six sessions, two and a half hours a session to work with movement, art, voice, reflection, conversation, um, writing about being too much. What does that really mean uh, to all of us? But today we're just going to talk about it. So let's dive in. And uh, I want to say that for me, um, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, you know, the idea of being too much is like a suit that doesn't fit me. It's either I'm bulging out of it, right? It's like it doesn't fit what people want me to, so I'm too intense and too much. Or it's like you're not enough, so therefore you're feeling like you somehow have been disappointing. Um, so I want to ask, mm. how do you define being too much? Well, I don't define it. <laughs> I love that. You know, I know what has been said to me and I know what they meant by it. And I know uh, what, how they use the term too much, the, 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 with the intention of uh, shutting me up or, uh, having me toned down. I even had a friend who used to say when I talked, you know, like, bring it down, bring it down. And I'm like, I'm a grown woman. She's a grown woman. Why is she telling me to bring it down? Mm -hmm. You know? And it's just like, like, I can't be with you at the level that you're being you at. And so I know that I've heard too much in terms of, I say too much. I say too much with too much, with too much passion. I say too much with too much intensity. I am too much intensity. Uh, just in my being, uh, I know I have had it used um, always in a way that is not always. Okay, so there's no always, but uh, mostly in terms of like, you're too much. I can't be with it. I can't handle it. I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable with it. I seems small next to it. So I need you to shrink some so that I'm comfortable again with you. Um, because at the size that you are uh, being makes me feel very small. And I don't like how that makes me feel. There are some times when people have said it to me, um, Black men said, oh, girl, you too much. Mm -mm -mm, which is like, ooh, it needed to be said. I wouldn't have, but I'm glad you did. So I have had it like that. It's like, oh, you're too much. You said all that. Oh, girl. But and that in a way of like as a compliment. It's like, thank goodness somebody did. Wasn't gonna be me. <laughs> but yeah, oh, you did. Mm-hmm. Like kudos. So I've had I've had that. Um, and 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 definitely, you know, um, a little bit of in between as well. So why did you put it next to your name? Well, um, I put it next to my name as a conversation to me, with me, for me. So it's a it's an interior 
conversation I'm having that people can see pieces of by seeing it next to my name, like here on the Zoom. Uh, but um, it was in a conversation that was was being had between Bio Akomalafe and Adrian Marie Brown, where I understood for the first time how much I had been unconsciously imprisoned by that judgment against me of too much. Like I started to see how much, no matter how much I was doing my darndest to be my authentic self. In there, in the light of that conversation and in the mirror and glow of that conversation, I got to see that even though I am more than most people are in terms of my ability to, uh, to inhabit my skin, my own ideas, my own personality, uh, my own flavor, I got to see it's still inside of a prison. So I've got more room in the prison. I've got to decorate the walls of my prison, but it's still a prison. And so first I saw that I was in that prison of, yeah, you can be too much, but not too much, but not too much, too much. And I'm like, oh, so I've been looking at, well, what, what level is too much, too much? You know, I've been basing a lot of my choices and decisions on, okay, I'm giving myself permission to be too much. I don't care what they say, but not too much, too much. And I'm always gazing in from the space I'm in, spaces I'm in, how much too much I can go before I rackle someone or um, uh, make someone uncomfortable. Or, sorry, I don't make them feel anything before someone tells me they feel that way. I'm not making them do anything. Um, so I saw, I saw how much I was managing other people's emotions and I saw how much I was um, allowing the concern for other people's stuff to dictate my expansiveness. So I'm sitting there becoming very aware that, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's the part that they did, they. But then I was like, I had to look in the mirror and say, whoa, whoa, whoa what's the part that you did on the studio? Like, look what I did. I still put a wall around it and said, okay, I can be this much more than they say is allowed, but I can't be all of this. I'm like, why did I come up with that? You know, I couldn't even understand my rationale behind that. And, um, and I said, well, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be thinking about and worrying about and concerned about how much of me can they take. And I was really appalled that I, I had even allowed that. And so I just said, from now on, I'm just going to own too much. I'm going to be too much. And there's not going to be any limit to how much too much I'm going to be in. Who can handle it can, who can't. It's okay. There's somebody for everybody. I am not for everybody. And that's okay. But I think I never learned that it was okay to not be for everybody. I never learned that it was okay to be me and have those people around me who could be in concert with me, not necessarily the same frequency, not necessarily the same level of too much, but just could be in concert with me at their level. And I'm like, yeah. And I saw that, you know, I was in prison and it was a prison that they constructed around what is too much. But I saw I still had the keys to my own self. That was a shocker. Yeah, the door. And then as I was running through the hallways of the prison, trying to get the hell out of there, I saw that I had the keys to all of the different doors to get out. I'm like, oh my god, I've always had these keys. I've always had the keys. So yeah, my saying honestly too much ATM um, is me claiming my freedom papers. Mm -hmm. 
Those are my free, those are my emancipation papers that I gave to me because actually no one else can give it to me. No one else could set me free. No one else can declare me free. Only I could do that. So that takes us to kind of that idea of the audacity. Yes. Of being a woman of vastness, of being the volcano, of being the the mountain, of being the ocean, of being the vast. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, um, I want to I want to talk about uh, Alan Watts because you sent me uh, something that I I mean you know obviously I know I'm mean, my I'm the age of Alan Watts so like I get it but um, but when he talked about the void in this particular conversation that you sent me mm -hmm. and uh, the blackness of space it it he brought in this whole concept of the invisible, what holds us, and, and that vastness, this vastness, this audacity of woman, you know, is the blackness. And he said, you know, God is a black woman. Mm -hmm. you know? And so I, I want you to speak about that vastness because it, it connects to the womb of a woman. Yes, it, yes, um, I, hold, I love that. We hold, the, we hold life. Yeah, it's, it is such a beautiful um, journey he takes the listener into the person who is uh, participating in that conversation, which is uh, the nature of God. And he's talking about it. So he shocks them at first by saying, you know, the astronauts who went up to the moon, when they came back, they were asked, hey, did you see God? Because so many people have that idea of God's up in the sky, up in the heaven. And the astronaut said, yeah, and she's black. And so he starts there, you know, like rattling the cages right off the top. I'm like, oh boy, I know that's not where he's going to end, but I don't know how many people are going to check out at this moment. Don't hear a thing that comes afterward. Um, but what I love about the journey he takes people on is he slowly peels back what that means and why it is so. It's fascinating because he talks about there is the invisible space or the negative space, if you're talking art or photographs, you have a negative that you can't have a positive, which is the actual photo, without the negative that produces it. So he's talking about the negative of the photo that we see of the visible world that isn't possible without the negative, which happens to be black. So there is a black force of energy, dark matter, that is all that is energy, that is all that is space. But it also is as above, so below. It's also a reflection of that which is on earth, which is the earth itself. When you get off the surface, when you get to this negative space, it's pitch black, it's dark, it's moist, it's rich, it's full of minerals, it's full of life forms, it's full of uh, crystals, it's full of everything that the earth needs to produce life, which could be food, which could be the food for animals, which could be the oceans, it has everything it needs to produce the oceans and hold it and hold the seas and hold the mountains and hold the grass and hold all the crystals and minerals. It, it has everything. And that's also black. And that which holds life in the form of humans or even life in the form of animals. I mean, they're all animals are in some kind of sack, some kind of uh, liquid sack. Even caterpillars have to go back to their liquid form, liquid blackness in order to produce that which becomes wings, which becomes the butterfly. So everything has to go back to black. 
to exist or to rebirth itself or to begin again. You have to go back to black. Um, so, and that's what he's talking about. He says the substance of all things is black. And he, I love how he defines that substance is sub is under and stance. That which is standing underneath and holding everything up is blackness. It wouldn't exist unless the blackness was holding it up and allowing it to come forth as something different, allowing it to come forth as yellow or as white or as green, is letting it come up. But it springs from a black seed, a black root, a black earth, a black space, a black amniotic fluid. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So this idea of women carrying that, I'm so, um, I so understand that as a woman, the power of my own womb and that in this um, modernity that mm. we live in, how women are reduced. And so again, that's that shrinking down, being not being too much, because too much is that womb. We, we, I mean, no human being, I can still say this, no human being is on the face of the earth or on the, on the planet of the earth who hasn't come through the body of a woman. If they got a navel, we got some evidence. <laughs> that's right. And so here we are, and yet we are reduced to this sub subsystem. And so part of what I want us to explore is how do we take our rightful place? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, part of it has to do with How many ways I can say this? Hold on. Part of it has to do with taking back the black. Like each one of us, no matter what our outward appearance is. So if our outward appearance is uh, more golden because of our Asian roots or more caramel because of our Latin roots or more um, okra because of our Native American or indigenous roots, you know, it doesn't matter because life starts black. So it's taking back blackness in defiance of what, um, in defiance of what the culture of white supremacy, uh, the culture of the delusion of white supremacy and patriarchy has, has said labeled black that has us not want the black that we are. And I'm not talking race. I'm talking about uh, our nature loving, earth loving, uh, people loving. You know, you want people who are humane and who are, who are kind and go to the dark. The people who are the most loving, who have the, the least amount of resources and uh, material are going to be the most generous, loving, kind people. So, you know, we've been taught, everybody across the planet, wherever settlers went, wherever colonialists went, wherever imperialists went, and sometimes they're all the same thing, same person, um, they taught that their way of doing things and believing things and seeing things is better, right, and uh, just and pure and noble. And it just happens to be white. Answer that. So this gives us the right to subject you, punish you, oppress you, steal from you, rob you, take your body from one country to another, oppress you, make you slaves or, or, or kill you because you're not white. And so to hold up that justification for this mass genocide that took place all over the world, there are holocausts all over the world. And holocaust means mass burning by the, the word, 
means mass burnings. Well, there were mass burnings all over the world where the settlers went and where people resisted them and resisted um, capturing, resisted um, uh, the losing their country to these foreigners. Um, they were either burned, shot, lynched, um, or, or buried. I mean, atrocities are all over the world. So uh, the Holocaust, mass genocide is taking place wherever these white settlers went. And what they left behind was white is right, black is wrong, dark is wrong, dark is death. Because the only people dying were black. So they had, you know, it, it was clear like, oh, black is dead, you know, death. Um, so with that, in killing that which is black, literally killing, but also culturally killing that which is black. And by this black, I'm referring to non-white so that people can hear it properly. When I'm saying black in this instance, anybody not white, because anybody not white was killed. So it's really that simple. So to, to, to what was left after those people who didn't die, so okay, you're gonna do it the program. If you follow us and become Christian, you follow us and give us all your resources, you follow us and we, we give us your land and we'll give you our Bible, uh, then we'll leave you with the truth that Jesus is white, God is white, uh, the savior is white, angels are white, everything that's good and pure is white, and you are not. So therefore you're bad and wrong and your ways are wrong. So any uh, way of worshiping or honoring or any rituals that were not um, the same as in Europe were deemed ugly, pagan, um, from the devil, uh, wild, raucous, anything that it looked uh, not in alignment with the puritanical way of being was considered um, you know, uh, devilish. So, you know, a black woman, brown body, orange body, yellow body, red body, all those bodies look very different from European women. Completely. I want to, stop you. I want to pause you there because, because this is, this is a piece that, um, I know I've been working with because when I wrote my book, Stalking Wild Soas, um, embodying your core intelligence, and I was looking at the word wild, um, wild has has a negative term, right? So, because so, men, so, men, so men even, decided that, right? So, so even though my heritage is is uh, white colonizer European, um, you know, within my own and and Pat McCab takes us back into that. You know, there's the witches and the uh, the burnings and the uh, torture that happened to women who didn't follow the same. So even in a white woman's body. So mm -hmm. I, wanna, I wanna take us to something because I, I feel like this weaves us into this idea of being too much. Yeah, that, for sure. The, um, I'm reading um, uh, God is a Black Woman as a book and uh, it's by Christina Cleveland and she's a social psychologist and um, she quotes Jungian therapists and uh, Kentadora Claressa Pincola Estes, who I've studied mm -hmm. with and been with, and I find so profound her stories. And one of the stories she brings to this book is the story of her grandmother, old um, uh, Katerin, who's rural, poor, immigrant woman of color, but who loves the Black Madonna. Okay. And, and she, has these different fires going on to you know cook the food and have the water for you know cleaning and to keep warm 
And in the ashes, Clarissa talks about her grandmother, you know, looking for the uh, ashes that represent the black holy mother because she would find pieces, right? That would have the shape of a woman's body. Oh, I love and, that. Yes, and she says, this black holy mother, this is what uh, Katerin says, this black holy mother carries wisdom and knowledge and understanding about repairing the land and making things grow. Taken from the fire, she was burned, but she was not consumed. Ooh, I she love that. Still here. We are still here. And we still hold our holy shapes no matter what fire we have passed through. So I'm I'm hearing there's two pieces I want to talk about. One is the reality of black women. You know, you're holding this, you know, black Madonna in, you know, the womb, the earth, the symbology of all of that, and you're living in a world that does not what the reality of being black, especially here in the United States, we're both in the, in the United States. Um, so how do black women see being too much? Like you mentioned, like some of your friends, some of it's like, hey man, you know, you're great, you know, just the way you are. And, and so across kind of a cross-cultural, can we speak to that? Because I know that part of that puritanical training the historic, even though I wasn't raised that way, even though I come from a very poor uh, uh, working class farm class family, okay? Um, uh, I come from a woman who is kind of uh, wild and, and not, she couldn't be tamed and she didn't fit in and all of that kind of stuff. But, um, but still, I know that's my lineage, right? And yet I also know that women such as me, uh, who knows herbs and knows plants and knows earth was burned. So, so you know, even I, I don't fit this, this, you know, whatever it is that, that the uh, white enculturation has created. So I've been looking at that in my own system, in my own being, in my own body and, and exploring that, and that's you know what I do as a sensory system is looking at that. And I want you to reflect a little bit and bring how these ideas clash in you, you know, in your <sighs> sense of knowing the potency of who you are in relationship to a, the world that you live in, because that's partly what we're talking about unpacking, right? Yeah. Well. Such a good question. I mean, well, it, it's not even a question. Such a good um, line of inquiry that you've just opened up um, because that's that's what it is. Um, as I was saying before uh, about the stripping away of the blackness mm -hmm. of the people in their own country, on their own land, where they've been for thousands of years. Uh, uh, that was the attempt to re remove their wildness because they were savages. They were savages and they had to be civilized. And so how do you civilize a savage? You take away their wildness. You take away um, that which is so unfamiliar. You take away that which is not white. 
uh, which is their blackness. And I mean blackness as in non-white, not in Africa, even though that's there. It also happened in New Zealand, it happened in Australia, it happened in the, the Fiji, it happened everywhere. So to, to civilize them, they had to strip away that which was wild and black and indigenous. So that meant the singing, the boisterous dancing, the, the, comfortable, the, 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 the comfort in their own skin so they didn't have to cover it up. They didn't have to hide it. They weren't wearing bras. Oh my God, I mean, you have to remember these people came from a land where the women were covered up to their neck. They were covered up to their finger toes, their hat heads were covered. You know, they only saw women's faces. So here these women were just in skirts or not, with no bras, no shirt, free, doing everything, feeding their children, uh, cooking, uh, dealing with the garden, I mean, garden, the plants. I mean, they were doing everything comfortably with no clothes on or very little. So these are just uncouth, savage people. What is with them? So they had to have it stripped. So their religion had to be taken because that was their connection to their ancestors. That was the connection to their gods. It was the connection to the source of their power. So the only way they could take away their power and subjugate them on their own land Okay, it's different from what they did to African-Americans, which they took us from our land and put it in a foreign land. So it's harder to navigate a resistance and a rebellion in a land you don't know. But these people were on their own land where they had been for thousands of years. So you got to imagine the kind of oppression they had to do to get people to subjugate on their own land, give up their own language, give up their religion, give up their, their connection to their ancestors to survive. Not because they said, oh, I like yours better. No, they're like, or we're going to be even more of us killed. We have to survive. We have to, we have to get past us. We have to live through this. Somehow we're going to get rid of them. And they did three or 400 years later, they all got their independence, but it took something for two to 300 years. They were living under this heavy stripping of their wildness, stripping of their blackness, stripping of their power because everybody's power source is in the black. Your power source it's an electrical grid, which comes from the water and uh, earth, you know, that combination. So everybody's power source is under the ground. So if I cut you off from your grid, if I cut you off from your power source, if I cut you off, then you cannot stand up. And if you can't stand up, you can't fight back. And you know from, um, from your work as a somatic that you have to be, we people have to be grounded. We have to get grounded first. And that's connecting our first and second chakra back down to the earth, back to the crystal grid down at the core, earth's core. If we can't do that, we cannot what? We cannot stand up straight. Our heart doesn't open up and our voice is shut down. So it's a direct correlation. They knew they had to get rid of their power source by disconnecting them from the earth. So they had to make the earth bad. They had to make the earth wrong. They had to make uh, everything that comes from, which is your land of your ancestors. Well, let's destroy it. Then they don't have that anymore. Okay, well, they can still call their ancestors in, the, in their songs. We'll get rid of their songs. Well, how do you do that? Give them another language. They can't call their ancestors in another language. Oh, yeah, that's good. Well, what if they dream? Of? Well, we'll get rid of their dreams. We'll give them something else. You know, so it was a constant stripping away of the savage, of the wild, of the one connected to the earth, to their ancestors, to their truth, from their understanding of their oneness with the all. They had to take that away from them to subjugate them, to take over, to steal from them, to steal them. They had to do that. So rewilding is us consciously choosing to get back what was taken from us, to get back to our true nature, 
to get back to our original voice. And we haven't heard it because we've been so disconnected from the earth. We're all in a new land, right? The only people who are not new to this land are the Native Americans that we tried to kill all of them, but we didn't. So all of us are in a strange land. All of us are foreigners. So we're all disconnected from our ancestral roots. Now we've made new roots that are maybe four or five generations and many white people are only here since the twenties and thirties. So they have less generation, but people like me who've been here seven generations, you know, my roots go back far here, but they're not my real, real roots. My real, real roots are in Africa. So we've had to fashion a way of recreating our wild, savage, indigenous, authentic uh, voice and religion and connection to the all that is in a strange land, which is why that song, how can we sing in a state in a strange land, you know, um, by the rivers of Babylon. Yeah, because you're not singing the land. And that's, you're not- We're, we're singing our new one. We, it's our way now to sing is to make this land ours, to make, to make our connection. And it was much easier before technology and the, and the advent of cement and cars. It was much easier to be connected to the land because we were all, everybody was agricultural. You weren't agriculture, you weren't eating. So it was real simple. So everybody had to be connected to the land. But the slaves are more connected to the land because we were producing all the goods and services that the country needed. So we had to have a way of singing to the earth and making things grow. We had a way of speaking to the plants and making them grow because we needed to survive. Well, and, and you were brought to this country not because you were slaves, because you were wise. And you yeah, not no, we many, many gifts that allowed allowed those who came here to survive, the white yeah. the white colonizers to survive. So it was, you know, it was your own body of knowledge from your earth to here that kept everyone else going. Yeah, it, it was. And you know, you're right to say that people weren't slaves were not captured. No, pe people who were taken were not slaves. They were the scientists. Yeah. yeah, they were the scientists. They were the holy people. They were the shamans. They were um, the artists. They were the, the teachers. If those people got taken and all of their wisdom and their knowledge was taken with them. And when they, if they survived the horrific middle passage between Africa and the Americas, if they survived that, then they were sold on an, uh, on an auction block. And that's when they became a slave. They weren't a slave until they were on the auction block block and sold. They were just captive people before that. Um, and so, but these people knew how to grow things that the, didn't exist in America. So watermelon didn't exist in America. Okra didn't exist in America. Rice didn't exist in America. There are many things that they found, the, the whites found in Africa that they wanted, but didn't exist where they were going. So they brought slaves who knew how to work with rice and melons and okra and yams and sweet potatoes, like all these things that they took from Africa and brought over here. They brought the slaves that would know how to grow it here. They brought the seeds and said, work it, make it work here. Um, and that's what they did. But it's not, these things, many things that are not indigenous to the Americas that came with the slaves. And they intentionally took those human beings because they had that expertise, they had that knowledge, they knew what to do. Because the Native Americans here didn't know those foreign items so yeah and that's the oh i'm getting a uh echo um, hmm. um that suppression and mm -hmm. that total uh devastation throughout 
uh, indigenous nations is what the land we live on now. So as women here and, and whether women are that come to this class are in Europe or anywhere else, mm-hmm. we're, we're working with, uh, we're working with concepts that are about decolonizing, about claiming, yes. about uh, rewilding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and about taking back your voice. Yes, and, in, and the entrapments that, that modernity offers as ways of saying it really doesn't matter, you know, and, and but- Wait a minute, what's the it? You have to say what the it is. What is the it that doesn't matter? The soul. And so-, so You gotta me, be specific with that. Yeah, so to me, you can't find my soul. You know, it, it, I mean, I think I, I was packaged to have that happen, but <laughs> there's enough wildness still left in Liz uh, innately. That, hallelujah. Yeah, hallelujah. That has been, a, you know, that I've been cultivating. Well, no, cultivating, so I don't want to cultivate. I've been acknowledging or accessing or tracking is actually how I think of it. I track the wildness within myself. And in that, I have a voice and I'm seen as too much. And, but I'm also innovative in my capacity to uh, survive, but more than survive, thrive. So, so when we're unpacking this and, and we have two different very experiences and yet we're both women, we share that in common and we share um, the suppression of a patriarchal capitalistic colonized country that is lost um, as it is lost all over the world because you know when I when I, I recognize that I, I my roots go back to 1723. Okay your roots where? Here. In okay in America thank you. So America so my 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 lineage on my my father's mother's side goes way back. And, and that's unusual because the other side of the family, you do it. They came over at the turn of the century. Or they were escaping something, right? They were hoping for a promise of something. They were leaving something, you know, so the colonizing happened in Europe, right? And, and then people, you know, fled. Others came to colonize, you know, to take. So it's, it's, a, it's a messy, it's, a, it's messy. But it's also, it's also, you know, I've been reading the indigenous history of the uh, of this country, mm-hmm. and and there's there's a lot to unpack here, and yet I can't, I I I want to somehow source, or not even source, but feel into the darkness, because that is where that embryological story of life keeps keeps unfolding. And that's within us. That's literally in our tissue. So literally in our tissue. All these different different experiences, um, not to be ignored and to be included, is there's also something that we can play with that takes us into the wild in ourselves, in our actual tissue. And I think it adds or supports this idea of you're talking about dropping into the earth. Mm-hmm. You, 
ask a question because what you just said is so big. I don't even know where to jump in. So is there a question with that? There isn't except that, that um, I guess the, the question I have is that if as women, we hold something of that, of that knowing, of that yes. knowing. And that's what I want to want to bring to the uh, our our conjuring and our collaboration is how do we support that in each other? How do I support, support the knowing? Can you keep saying it? So like, I need you to the say what the knowing. it's are. The, okay. the direct <laughs> knowing. So I call that direct perception. In other words, I don't have to think about it. I actually know things, and I know things because my cells are you know millions of years old of elemental being you know so so in a living organism i'm taking it to the earth okay that's how i handled a lot of it is as i took it to the earth so i just landed on the earth and allowed this process of uh unfolding to to return to my system to be able to actually access myself as an animal as a body as a being as an organism not necessarily human uh, I've, I've left the kind of human scenario a little bit to access that, but it's made me more human. It's made me more compassionate. It's made me more available. It's made me more uh, outraged to stand up and speak and come forward. You know? So, so I'm, I'm not, I don't necessarily have a question. It's a dialogue for me right now. No, I, I get that. How, how are we going to work together with this? Okay, th thank you. So that, there's a question. Okay, so, um, you know, what's really important is awakening women, my sisters, to their innate divinity. And that innate divinity is mostly felt when we have reconnected to the earth, to our oneness with the earth, not mm -hmm. our um, superiority over the earth, not our right to take whatever the earth gives without any regard to replenishment, uh, uh, the survival of species, uh, uh, you know, without any disregard for depletion. You know, uh, when we are we when we are working back in concert with our own self, mm -hmm. because we have been brought up, we have been reared, we have been trained, and we have been miseducated to be at war with ourselves. Mm. This is how patriarchy has kept women from taking over, mm -hmm. basically. <laughs> Because if we were not so distracted by the, our own war on ourselves, we'd say F you to the system and we'd overthrow it. That's right. Because our too muchness is exactly what's needed to bring life from another planet, life from another zone, life from the heavens. Wherever you think life comes from before it gets in your belly, that place, we bring our life, our soul from another entity. We carry and nurture it and then we birth something new. Complete. That is too much. That is too much. And according to men and patriarchy, it's too much for women to handle. We should be doing it. We know what to do with that resource. We would do a better job of being 
uh, life bearers, you know? So how do you shrink the vastness of the immensity of the divinity that brings life into being? Because that's a God thing. Hmm, last time I checked in Genesis, I was like, oh, I thought it, I conceived of it, I carried it, I spoke it, and out it came. Well, men can't do any of that. And so they've been at war with us ever since they figured out that, you know, they really don't have anything to do with that. And Sojourner Truth said it so beautifully when, was, when she was uh, demanding um, Sojourner Truth, an ex-slave, um, who had gained her liberation and was fighting for the women with the suffragettes for the women to have the power to vote. And men were arguing that women couldn't have the right to vote because, um, how did he say, oh, I'll have to get the quote and we'll put it on the website, um, that because men were, God, because Christ was a man and Abraham um, and his father was a man and God was a man, then men have to have power. Women can't have any power. And Sister so said, really? Well, last time she looked that, you know, the only thing that made Jesus possible was God and a woman. Men had nothing to do with Jesus. So <laughs> women should have the right to vote <laughs> more than men. <laughs> and, and it was so powerful because it, as, I don't know. I don't think anyone really takes that into consideration that men didn't have anything to do with Jesus and it fall into the purpose. They don't have anything to do with birth. Yes, they provide sperm. Okay, so no need to jump in the comment section. I know they supply sperm. And controversially, to some people, uh, it may seem controversial that before there was a time when women were asexual, which means they could produce without sperm. There was a time for that, but that's a, a long time in our epigenetic um, line. But it's important to know that that was a time that was possible. And, and there are many species that are able to still do that, reproduce asexually, um, without the need for a mate mm -hmm. or sperm. So the, the point I'm making is that women have to remember their own divinity that has been taken from us. There is a feminine form of God. There's a feminine face to God. There's a feminine energy. Many cultures have different names for it, mm -hmm. but it always is in some form of what we as Christian call the Holy Spirit, that mysterious side. The one you don't see, but that force that gives life to things. Because people recognize whether you're talking about the chi, the shakti, the, the ki, you know, the ba, if you're coming from comedics, like every religion had or spiritual practice has a name for that holy breath that is not ours. It is divine. It comes in it, it's inspire, it goes inside you and you respire, you re-breathe it and then it leaves and then you don't, the body's nothing. Because without that air, that breath, we're not alive. We have everything to be alive. We have all the organs, we have the blood, we have the brain, we have, but we don't, without breath, it doesn't matter, right? That thing does not move. Yeah. And every culture calls that feminine. Mm -hmm. Every culture called, and at one time called it Mother God. Ooh. You know, the invisible. That's just like amazing. Say that again. Every culture has called the breath. The breath. The, sh the, the, the Mother God. Mother God. The inspiration. The Holy Spirit. That which now later, when the settlers came and started changing things. Um, and most of them were either Greek uh, or Roman. I want to stay with. I want to stay with that. 
Well, I, I, I want to tell you how it, it, how it happened. Well, I'm just saying that they changed the new they changed the pronoun, um, the article, so um, feminine became masculine or neutral. So in the Aramaic, which is the language of Hebrew before Hebrew, which is the language that Jesus spoke Aramaic, um, it's called the the Shekinah, and Shekinah is the Holy Spirit, who is also called Mother God. So. <gasps> Then it became, then it, it got neutered and went from, uh, I think either from, to the Greek, it became neutral. And then in the Romans, it became masculine or vice versa. But I'm saying they took feminine pronouns and changed them to either neutral, neuter, or masculine so that all forms of the feminine face of God would be erased. I'm saying that on purpose. So even though you may look up and say, oh, it says in Hebrew now, the Holy Spirit is masculine. Ah, oh, but what's the root of that? Mm-hmm. What's the root of that? You have to you have to peel back the layers. So I'm telling you what is there before things get altered, mm-hmm. before truth get like altered a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether you know the Shakti is that invisible form, who's the wife of Shiva, but she Shiva imagines or, uh, or envisions this, or as according to Hinduism dreams it, and the Shakti makes those dreams manifest. Oh, dreams of a tree, she creates a tree. Dreams of people in the same way God thought it. He spoke it, and then the Holy Spirit, Mother God, created, birthed all of creation. And that's that's the role it plays, is that it's the life-giving force. Without that breath, nothing exists. And so when women remember that we are the source of that life, literally by giving birth <laughs> to it, so we are the source of that life, um, but we're also the source of life through what we say. We're constantly birthing new things to what we say. But unfortunately, without understanding the power of our voice and the creative manifesting power of our voice, and it really, it really isn't even manifesting, it's womanfesting, as in W-O-M-B. We're birthing something through our voice. But because our we have been colonized, because we have been had uh, holding the key to our own cell in the prison that we put ourselves in, you know, because we don't know that that's happening, we are speaking the world, but we're speaking our own oppression. We have become, misogyny has become internalized, just like our racism has become internalized. Yes. So we are now our own worst enemies. Mm. And there's so many women who will fight you to the death in defense of patriarchy. And they don't say it in those terms. They'll just say, no, this is the way my daddy was, and this is the way my uncles were, my brothers are, and I'm all for it. They are right. So they're fighting for what they know. They fight for what is familiar. Familiar means family. That which is close, they know. You know, familiar is your family. So, yeah, they're not going to go against the misogynist, patriotic, um, paternalistic entity because it's familiar. That's like going against their own father. Can't do that. But he's not doing anything for you as a woman. Don't be ridiculous. My dad loves me. Yeah, but this particular person who you think is like your father is doing things that are against your best interest. I don't want to hear it. You're just crazy. So, you know. That's how that rolls. So, so, so I want to bring this back to because we're going to close soon, and and it has a lot of rich pieces to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I I feel like we're we're right at this transition where, um, what you've just said really has landed in being our own worst enemy. Mm. You know, and 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 how much we have to kind of keep encouraging women to show up for themselves 
and to, to love themselves, to love who they are. So in some ways, being too much is not really too much. It's simply being you. Being who you were before, before you were shrunk. Yes. And how we, and how the, how we are at war with ourselves is that not only are we trying to not be too much, not be too loud, not take up too much space, not say too much, not offend people, not be too scary, not to be too proud. I mean, sorry, my <laughs> is going off. Um, we've been taught not to be like a, a lady should be quiet. She should be demure. She should only speak at certain times. You know, we've been taught all these ways to be that are not us, <laughs> that are not who we are. You know, and at the same time, we're taught well, you're not enough. Wait a minute, you just told me I was too much. Now you say I'm not enough. Yeah, you're not, you're not smart enough. You're not tall enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not uh, good enough. I mean, we have all these ways that we're not enough. Not good enough. Not smart enough. Not tall enough. Not pretty enough. Not blonde enough. Not big boobed enough. Not this enough. Not this. You know, we have all this not enough and too much all the time. So we have these conflicting dictates on how we should be. And we're buying it. You know, I'm doing everything to get them, doing everything to get fatter. I'm doing everything to get taller, things shorter. I'm doing everything to be louder. I'm doing that. that. We're just completely at war. And what it is, we're so distracted by trying to fit the male gaze and fit in what we're supposed to be that we are not seeing how much we're being robbed and denied and oppressed. We can't see it because we're so distracted by the shoulds. And not enough too much is running every aspect of our lives. And it's not, and it ha- it's so ingrained in us that it's our own voice saying it now. We don't even yeah. need the men to say it. We don't need white supremacy to say it. We don't need patriarchy to say it. It's so ingrained in us that we're just on automatic pallet and we're just doing it. We're just running that, we're running that conversation all on our own. Mm-hmm. So this course is important for us to remember who we were before that tape got stuck in there. Before it got stuck on rewind, stuck on rewind, stuck on rewind. Stuck. There was a us before that. We did mm-hmm. not come into this world uh, imprisoned. No, we did not. And I mean, you know, it starts very young. It starts That's very really young. young. But, but many, many women I know remember, remember, they remember feeling a sense of freedom of being themselves and others don't. So I think we're gonna be working with a a different group of women, but I think the common thread is that we all wanna see, we wanna unpack this for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Where do I hear that voice in me? Whose voice is that? You know, have have I given my authority to something that is actually a prison or, you know? Well, the main main thing we, we hope that everyone will accomplish inside of this this journey we're taking them on because it's such a brief time, six sessions, um, is even the ability to discern that it's not their own voice. That would be huge. Yes, because be it huge. sounds like them. Yes, it sounds like something they believe. It sounds like something they would say. It sounds it's in their voice. It is in their voice. It's not just sounds. It is in their voice. But what we want, what we are, our aim is, is to have them discern. Yeah, but not. It's the imposter. Now that's the real imposter syndrome. It's the one that tells you you're somebody other than who you are. That's the imposter. Yeah, so the imposter's voice is very loud. And so through the art, through the dance, through the poetry, through the somatic exercises, through some of the theater part we're gonna be doing, we're gonna use a very creative way of helping us to remember 
who was before the voice, who was there first, that original us, you know, as we clear away the obstacles in our first and second chakra, we do some healing of those wounds. We, we do some restoration to our heart chakra and we open our voice back up again. And then we're going to hear who was there. I don't know who was there before. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know who's going to show up. We're going to just going to help you open up your own doors. Each door of your own prison, we're going to help you open up and then find out who's really in there. Because it's time you meet her. Yeah. It's time you meet her. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much. We're going to have a ball. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be fun. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.